Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Heart Over Hype with your favorite neighborhood doc, Dr. Charles. We're making Heart Over Hype history with the first of four stories in our Black Women's Health series. But before we start, if you enjoyed this show, please subscribe and give this a rating of five stars on iTunes. We're also available on all your favorite directories, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also find us at Believe.com and on Instagram at Believe Podcast. Now that that's out the way, let's get to it. But first, let me share a random fact about myself. I'm a mama's boy, and I'm proud of it. What can I say? I love my mom. Marie Jocelyn Charles didn't just raise me to be a decent man, but she taught me how to respect black women. So it's no wonder that I've always marveled at a woman's ability to carry life, nurture its growth, and pass on our legacy. With all of the obstacles that we face as black and brown people, this is no small feat. We can't take this lightly. So there's absolutely no way that I could host a podcast without addressing the abhorrent treatment of black women in the medical system and highlight the health disparities that exist during their pregnancy. Today, I have with me Dr. Calvin Lambert, my best friend and an OBGYN who specializes in high-risk pregnancy. I asked him many of the questions I've been asked over the years by friends and family during their pregnancy. Here's a snippet of our interview. Hey, good Dr. Lambert. Welcome to Heart Over Hype. Thank you for being here with us. Dr. Charles, man, I'm really excited to be here. I'm super excited about this conversation we're about to have. Let's get into it, brother. Let me set the stage with this stat. According to the CDC, Black and American Indian and or Alaskan Native women are two to three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. And this rate increases to four to five times when black women are over the age of 30. Why does this disparity exist? I think to tackle that very uh, complex question with respect to disparities, you need to understand the ways in which the medical system is constructed and how that kind of um, um, puts communities of color, particularly black women, up against um, a lot of barriers that prevents them from even getting access to care. I think nowadays we begin to think about medical care and some of the determinants of health from a social and a structural standpoint. I think that when it comes to black women, there has been concerns about whether or not they've actually are in positions to access care from a primary care provider, particularly an obstetrician, and being able to see them frequently throughout the course of their pregnancy based on the different trimesters, first, second, and third trimester. But I also think in just knowing um, the medical trends of black women with respect to high blood pressure and diabetes, as well as other medical diagnoses, the importance of this concept of preconception care, being able to seek out care with an obstetrician even before becoming pregnant, and being able to understand and educate and empower these patients with information about how the um, optimal management of their conditions ultimately impact the outcome of their pregnancy. And then as we as providers, we need to understand, structurally speaking, how there are um, barriers that we ourselves may contribute to in terms of being able 
for patients to receive care, um, whether that's an implicit bias, whether that's our perspective in terms of interacting with these patients with respect to um, pain management and taking some of their concerns at face value, which I know that notoriously in the literature, that's been something that's been um, a, a serious concern amongst um, providers and amongst the patients themselves. What are some of the implicit biases that black women face when they're pregnant and they're going to see the doctor? I think one of the huge biases that I've seen, um, anecdotally speaking, is just being able to legitimize patients' concerns. I think a lot of times patients' pain concern has been um, undermined or um, not taken as seriously as maybe their Caucasian counterparts have been. And understanding that if someone has a true concern that they're coming to you for answers, whether that's in the setting of a primary care office or that's the setting of a hospital, then it's your your duty as a provider to listen and to understand the nuances, the context of their um, chief complaint, and then how you can appropriately evaluate that patient. And then, and sometimes I feel as though those concerns sometimes get written off as um, exaggerations or um, not truly warranting the level of care that the patient is patient believes they they need and so that's one or several of different instances in which implicit biases can impact care dr lambert that certainly speaks to black mistrust in the healthcare system but i know that it's not just for black people i know that this exists in the latinx community it exists with Native Americans, uh, South Asians, Pacific Islanders. So thank you for expounding on that a little bit for us, because I think that these issues, they've been around and they continue to be around, they continue to persist, but there's definitely ways that we as healthcare providers can help mitigate some of the risk by just being better providers and listening to our patients a little bit more. But we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive when it comes to the actual health conditions. We need to put a name to this so that black and brown women know the health conditions that they should look out for and hopefully try to prevent so they can have healthy pregnancies. So more specifically, what are some of the conditions that put black and brown women at higher risk of pregnancy related illness or poor pregnancy outcomes? I think you touched on a very, very important point. And I, um, as you were at, uh, asking the question, I was just kind of um, in my mind trying to assemble some of the many conditions in which we see patients for um, throughout our high-risk um, pregnancy clinic. And one of the more um, concerning ones is hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. It's actually one of the five leading causes of uh, pregnancy-related mortality in the United States. And what I mean by pregnancy-related um, um, hypertension or hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, I'm speaking of patients who come into pregnancy with a history of high blood pressure or patients ultimately develop um, blood pressure related to pregnancy, a condition known as preeclampsia. And some of the things that can be done in terms of trying to mitigate some of the outcomes in patients in their pregnancy who have this diagnosis is number one, making sure that the patient is 
understands the diagnosis. I think sometimes we as providers don't do as good of a job as far as providing patients with an honest opportunity to ask questions and then use that as an opportunity to educate them. I, I personally believe there is a, a power towards giving your patient access to information and empowering them with this information so that they too can continue to um, monitor some of their conditions and their symptoms and there can be a, a, a dialogue rather than a monologue um, between this therapeutic relationship of provider as well as patient. So hypertension is definitely one of them. Diabetes is another particular condition um, that involves um, very deliberate and um, delicate care when it comes to altering some of the treatments that patients have even before they become pregnant and during their pregnancy to optimize their glucose control because we know um, as obstetricians the impact that poor glucose control can have on the pregnancy ultimately. Again, sometimes this is these are um, information or data that the, the patient may not necessarily understand. So um, being able to continue to be as, as candid and open in our conversations with patients at every visit, providing the forum for questions and being able to be explicit in um, some of the changes that we make in their management, I think is very, very, very important as far as putting the, um, empowering the patient, putting the power back into the patient in terms of um, their care and directing their care um, on their terms. Um, I think that some of the complications related to diabetes and um, and high blood pressure is also important, particularly with respect to renal disease and how that can also kind of complicate the picture as far as putting patients at risk of worsening hypertension if they don't really have that as a consequence already because of their renal disease or putting them at risk of developing preeclampsia and severe forms of preeclampsia. Um, I think that a lot of these um, instances altogether, particularly high blood pressure, diabetes, renal disease, and several others are opportunities for uh, patients to be informed by their providers and also um, create opportunities to get some of those conditions under control since we know some of the outcomes that um, poorly controlled diabetes, poorly controlled hypertension, poorly controlled renal disease can have on the pregnancy. So doc, what I gathered is that there are preventable conditions that increase a woman's pregnancy risk and preconception counseling and education might mitigate that. But what about women who did everything right? They sought out preconception counseling, they attended all their prenatal visits and took their prenatal vitamins, and they even had a strong relationship with their provider like you discussed, but they lost their pregnancy anyway. What words do you have for them? The term that we normally use uh, when we when we speak about pregnancy losses um, is miscarriage, and actually up to 10 to 20% of pregnancies in the United States end in a miscarriage, uh, which is essentially a, a loss of the pregnancy before 20 weeks of gestational age. And it's a very emotionally taxing um, situation because I think a lot of times there are a lot of appropriate questions as to why did this happen? Could this happen again? What can I do differently? And I think I, I shared the statistic of 10 to 20% of, of pregnancies ultimately end in miscarriage because it's something that doesn't get talked about um, a lot. And so um, the understanding is that if it happens, it's such a, a, a rare event that something has to be wrong with um, me, the individual, the patient. Um, a lot of times when 
pregnancy loss or miscarriage occurs this early again before 20 weeks it's it tends to be due to um, some genetic event that happens that's beyond your control um, especially if it's an isolated event meaning something that just happened once and you've never had a history of this happening multiple times um, that does not mean that you do not have the ability to get pregnant um, in the future however being able to understand the what that means is important uh, because I think that number one you need the emotional space to, to, to process this information as far as being excited about an event that's usually um, broadcasted or highlighted as a joyous event and then having kind of all those things being abruptly taken away from you knowing that that's nothing that you intentionally did to cause this event to happen but knowing that it's a it's a series of unexplained natural events that can ultimately happen and that has happened to people before um, and if it's something that is an isolated event then there's no reason to think that it's something that's going to happen again or that it's going to impair your ability to get pregnant in the future. Yeah, it's important for us to reemphasize that most causes of pregnancy loss are simply out of a woman's control and that the vast majority of the time it's not her fault. But to anyone listening, if you or a loved one has experienced pregnancy loss and desires to get pregnant in the future, it's really important to get a full medical workup afterwards. I can't express how important that is. Just to make sure there aren't any genetic or physical barriers that are causing the loss. I'm talking the full enchilada, all the labs and all the scans, as much as your insurance will cover. Um, and they most likely will cover all of it. That's normally how it works. With that said, uh, this is easy for me to say, right? Uh, men don't normally go through this. Actually, not normally, right? Men never go through this. Um, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to get a full workup after such a traumatic event. Um, so this is just really a reminder, Cal, to you and I that there are a lot of women out there who are way tougher than us. Uh, we're normally down and out for the count uh, after a paper cut. At least I am. Anyway, um, here's another one for you to tackle. We've all heard it. You got to get pregnant by 35. Well, not we have to get pregnant by 35, but we've all heard women discussing getting pregnant by 35. Is that a number that women should actually be asphyxiated on? The number 35 in the realm of OBGYN is a age in which we um, use the term advanced maternal age to describe our patients. And advanced maternal age is a way in which we begin to understand some of the changes, physiologically speaking, and by physiologically, I mean the normal changes that happen to your body day to day, especially with when it comes to age and some of the wear and tear that happens uh, that can ultimately impact your ability to get pregnant and also impact the outcome of that particular pregnancy. Particularly when it comes to advanced maternal age, we know that some of the uh, the genetics when it comes to the pregnancy changes. Um, some of the, um, the processes that happens when it comes to fertilization, aka when the sperm and the egg meet and gives rise to the beginnings of the pregnancy, some of, that, some of those processes are not perfect. And therefore, sometimes it can result in you losing the pregnancy. Sometimes it can result in some different changes in the genetic makeup of the pregnancy. Um, as one particular point when we think about advanced maternal age. When patients ultimately become pregnant, 
we know that they're at risk of several different things, some of which include high blood pressure in pregnancy, um, some of which includes um, uh, preeclampsia, which again is high blood pressure in pregnancy. Um, we know that in those particular pregnancies, we are aware of the increased risk of things called like stillbirth, which is again um, pregnancies that ultimately result in death inside the uterus, which is the space that the pregnancy is growing when the patient is pregnant. So because we know of all those different high risk issues that occur in patients who are advanced maternal age, those are patients that we want to keep a close eye on when they become pregnant in terms of following them once they reach their third trimester in terms of the growth of the baby and making sure that the baby um, is also um, show signs of just well-being in terms of movements, in terms of, of breathing, in terms of the baby's heart rate. Those are things that we are mindful of when it comes to patients who are in this category of advanced maternal age that we really do um, a closer evaluation and surveillance when it comes to monitoring their pregnancy. Dr. Lambert, all of these things that you're talking about, the only thing that I can really think about is it is really important for black women to pick a rock solid OBGYN, whether that is a male or a female. Can you tell me what are some of the things black women should look for in their OBGYN with respect to their care? A very, very good question. I think that um, making sure that patients understand and that your listeners understand that that they hold the power and they should feel empowered to be able to direct their care. Um, and that starts as early as being able to pick the right provider, someone who listens. I think a lot of time when we think of the patient and provider dynamic that it appears hierarchical, meaning that you as a patient is just listening to whatever the provider spews out or dictates, but it shouldn't be like that and it doesn't have to be like that. We as the providers are there to help guide you along an important journey in your pregnancy. And so being able to find someone that understands that the importance of that relationship and is willing to listen and understand your concerns and being able to address some of those concerns I think is very, very important. I think finding a provider who is um, very interested in educating is important, at least um, for me and my experience and the patients I've taken care of. Um, I think there's a lot of power in knowing and I pride myself in being able to provide my patients with as much information as they need to be able to A, understand the um, pathway of their management of their pregnancy um, and being able to understand some of the decisions that we make, but also giving them information so that they too themselves can kind of um, understand any changes that might occur so that they can appropriately kind of inquire anything that might be different or they feel might be different. Being able to give patients that information, I think, does a world of good for them as far as them being able to, to know that they have onus of, of their care, but also knowing that they have the framework that we as providers are working within to be able to understand some of the decisions that are, are being made. Accessibility, I think, is, is huge. Um, we understand that there may be many instances in which um, obligations with respect to school, with respect to work, with respect to home life might make it difficult and challenging for patients to, to um, make appointments at particular times. So being able to 
understand some of those challenges and then communicate those challenges with the provider so that we ourselves can be able to kind of mitigate some of those things to optimize the number of times you're able to see us and and to um, access us and and given everything that's been happening with the pandemic i think that the virtual platform provides a lot of opportunities to kind of be creative and increase access with respect to care um understanding some of those challenges some of the challenges that comes with that but also just being able to extend some of the access issues or resolve some of the access issues that some patients may have and then it just also comes down to just being comfortable with the person that you're sitting um across the room from this is someone who's going to be seeing you pretty frequently throughout your pregnancy this is someone who ultimately uh, may be delivering um your child and so making sure that that relationship that that therapeutic relationship that's very important throughout the course of your pregnancy that you're able to kind of uh, define that and and feel comfortable with that person is is super important and i don't think that there is a particular rubric to kind of um to give you when it comes to that i think some of that is just um just a gut feeling as they say if you if you feel a connection um then I think that that might be the provider for you. And, and one other point I want to make that I know sometimes people are weary of, of starting care with a provider initially, and then they realize through several different visits that that might not necessarily be the best provider for you. It is okay for you to um, switch providers in the middle of your pregnancy, just being as open and, um, and honest and communicating that so that we can share information between the two providers, the provider you were seeing, the provider that you hope to see is important. But again, it, it comes down to, to making sure that we continue to support patient-centered care. And if at any point you feel that that's compromised and you want to change providers, that's totally okay. That's something that we respect, knowing that it's not about us, it's about the patient. Thank you, Dr. Lambert, for brokering such a sobering but definitely important and timely conversation. My last question for you is, can you leave our viewers, specifically our women, with some positive words? Um, sometimes this seems as if it can be, again, sobering, but um, I think it's always important to leave our viewers with some positive words. I think one of the reasons why I went into OBGYN is just the phenomenon and the joy that comes with um, celebrating the, the birth of new life. And I think just being reminded of this particular moment um, and not losing sight of how special this moment is, is important. Um, uh, the idea that two people can come together and um, through their love result in bringing um, this a beautiful being into the world is something that uh, is remarkable, is, is a joyous celebration. And I think that just remembering the importance of all these appointments is, is to ultimately being able to bring new life into the world and, and share your life with that new life. I think that's, that's something that I definitely want to communicate because I know that um, amidst everything that's happening, sometimes we lose sight of the joy that comes with pregnancy and understanding some of the challenges that come with pregnancy is important, but knowing that at the end of the day, we're all there to celebrate new life, to celebrate um, um, bringing uh, another being into this world, I think is important. 
And um, I think it's also an opportunity to just build relationships. Um, one of the things that I appreciate is just being able to connect with patients in many different levels um, and being able to kind of share stories about what ultimately led to their pregnancy and just being able to kind of build that therapeutic relationship, I think is, is super important. and something that um, shopping around for an OBGYN provider is something that you can continue to kind of look for. Um, and finding that that person that kind of that kind of speaks to you. And lastly, I think that one of the beauties of pregnancy is that you have an opportunity to kind of connect people um, from a health perspective. I think sometimes along the way we forget about things like we forget that we need to get our blood pressure checked routine routinely. We forget that sometimes we need to check on our blood sugars routinely. There might be some things that we've kind of that felt by the wayside that our doctor told us about in the beginning that we kind of forgot because life gets busy and people forget. But pregnancy is this incredible opportunity in which you can kind of make sure that you kind of fine tune all your your um, health concerns, knowing the impact that your health has on the health of someone else. I could tell you many different stories in which we've had people come to us who've had a history of cigarette smoking who were just motivated by the idea of being able to bring new life and wanting to optimize the health of their um, newborn as much as possible who've quit smoking. And people have made some incredible lifestyle changes. I think the ability to kind of connect and re-engage with your own health and your own body in pregnancy is a remarkable opportunity um, that I think that people should also continue to take advantage of, which is exciting. Um, again, co to continue to put the power back into your hands as far as your own health and your own well-being. Thank you, Dr. Lambert, for those remarkable words. You are certainly invited to come back anytime. And thank you to, for all of our viewers who are listening. Once again, you are listening to Heart Over High. See you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.